Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna. Joined alongside me, as always, is Frank Miola. Frank, how are you doing? Doing well. Surviving the uh, the snow. Hopefully, uh, warmer weather is on its way. It's been teasing us the last few days, so excited about that and uh, excited to get going with our show today. Uh, if you wouldn't mind a little bit of alliteration here for those who enjoy that kind of thing, you, you brought up warmer weather and uh, warmer weather, and I'll give you another double W, warmer weather and winning ways. Let's hope that the warmer weather sticks around and let's hope that the winning ways of the Pittsburgh Penguins stick around as well. Uh, let's dive right into it, Frank, and, and talk about the last couple of games that the Penguins have played going back to February 20th uh, in a game against the New York Islanders. This was, uh, I believe, Sidney Crosby's 1,000th NHL game played, and we will touch on that individual moment separately after the recap segment. But first, they play against the New York Islanders, Sidney Crosby's 1,000th game, a lot of pomp and and, uh, circumstance here. And at the end of the night, the Pittsburgh Penguins win by a score of three to two, Sidney Crosby registers two assists. Chris Letang registers his first two goals of the season. And uh, Frank, because obviously this is the, the 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 game that is furthest removed from what we wh- uh, when we are talking right now. So uh, we don't have to spend too much time on this game uh, in particular. Chris Letang opened the scoring for the Penguins in the second period at 12.35 to give the Penguins a one nothing lead on the power play. Jordan Eberle would tie the game up a few minutes later at 1 into the third period. Brock Nelson would uh, Brock Nelson would give the New York Islanders a lead just 53 seconds into the third period, 2-1 to one Islanders. Mike Matheson at 7.35 would tie the game up at 2. And like I said before, Chris Letang registering his... Uh, second of two goals scored on this night to eventually give the Penguins a 3-2 to two win. Uh, Frank, any thoughts on this game against the New York Islanders? Again, a 3-2 to two Penguins win in game number 1,000 for Sidney Crosby. It wasn't our best game for the Penguins, uh, allowing 35 shots and only taking 18 or managing to get 18 shots. Not not ideal for the Penguins, but Tristan Jari, who we had, who we've been talking about the last few weeks, he's been starting to turn a new leaf, if you will. And he's been starting to play better, and we saw it in this game. He really kept us in this game, especially again giving up 35 shots, only allowing two goals. Um, Jari again finding his confidence. It looks like for the last few games, and he he really showed up in this game against the Islanders and. Uh, coming out with a big win against uh, the New York Islanders uh, on Sidney Crosby's night was huge. Um, we saw Kapanen kind of get demoted, if you will. He, he goes from Crosby li- Crosby's line to the fourth line. I'm sure we'll touch on this a little bit more. Um, but obviously, Mike Sullivan didn't like how things were playing out with Kapanen. Um, overall, again, it wasn't the best game for the Penguins, but pulling out a win uh, is always huge. Yeah, after the game, Mike Sullivan said that uh, he felt like uh, Kapanen, uh, I'm inferring here from, uh, from and inferring and paraphrasing from Mike Sullivan's uh, post-game media scrum, he certainly did not feel like Kapanen had one of his better games in a Penguin uniform uh, that night. And uh, it, it certainly showed, like you said, he, he was basically benched for, 
I believe, uh, the majority of the third period, if memory serves, Mike Sullivan was clearly sending a message to Kasperi Kapanen. He wanted Kapanen to be a bit more physical. Um, so with that being said, uh, like uh, the, the Penguins, uh, again, take this game by a score of 3-2 to two in game number 1,000 for Sidney Crosby. Moving over to February 23rd, the next game the Penguins would play, it would be another 3-2 to two win for the Pittsburgh Penguins, this time an overtime win uh, against the Washington Capitals, where Kasperi Kapanen, speak of the devil, would register a secondary assist on Jake Gensel's third-period goal to tie the game at two, and Kasperi Kapanen himself would register the game-winning goal in, at 1.43 in the overtime period. Uh, Giddy Malkin finds the score sheet for his fourth goal of the season. Frank, uh, the Penguins played pretty well in this game, all things considered, registering 37 shots on goal to Washington's 22, 56% in the faceoff dot. Uh, they were out-hit by the Capitals. I think that's to be expected. Uh, the Capitals are a much bigger and stronger team in that department. But uh, kind of segueing from where I was saying a moment ago, Kasperi Kapanen's poor play in that game against the Islanders, uh, it, it seems to me in this game, Kasperi Kapanen certainly received whatever message Mike Sullivan was getting across, and the Penguins are the recipient of another win, another overtime win, 3-2 to two against the Washington Capitals. Frank, any thoughts on this game, the 3-2 to two overtime win for the Penguins against the Washington Capitals? Yeah, I think you kind of touched on it, Kapanen, um, getting that message from Sullivan to be more physical, as you mentioned, be more assertive. And and real quick, I just kind of want to touch on that. That was never Mike Sullivan's M.O. when he first took over. It was always about speed, playing the right way. And now that you see Ron Hextall and Brian Burke coming in, they're kind of, you already see their vision, if you will, coming to coming to fruition. And you see Sullivan kind of being the voice of that, being more physical, being more assertive. That was never Sullivan's way. But with a new regime, he's kind of adjusting on the fly. So you see Kapanen kind of uh, getting that message and, you know, playing. He played very well in this game, probably one of his best games of the season. Um, and now you see Sullivan is not afraid to bench people and, and, and give them less playing time, if you will, because we saw in this game P.O. Joseph got uh, hardly any playing time in the third period. So... Again, just a, an overall pretty good game for the Penguins uh, overall. And then, you know, just Kapanen showed up and played played his heart out. And the Penguins would move on to the uh, the second game of their little mini-series against the Capitals here on February 25th. Uh, a, a, a losing effort to the Washington Capitals. The Penguins would lose by a score of 5-2. to uh, Frank, watching this game, it was m more of the same, and I mean that in a, a negative way. Uh, some of the Penguins' tendencies, some of the Penguins' negative tendencies began to creep in again, uh, especially on the power play. The Penguins' power play goes 0 for 4 on this night, and I, I watching the power play, I felt like they were uh, incredibly uh, reluctant to shoot the puck. They were, they seemed to be in a very pass. Uh, pass happy mode trying again trying to find that perfect shot on the power play that perfect that pretty uh, globetrotter-esque goal if you will I don't think the power play is uh, the power play may not be the the sole reason why they lost this game it's definitely one of the bigger reasons of course when you go 0 for 4 uh, 
against a team like the Capitals who are are going to have their chances. They're going to make you pay, offensively speaking. So it wasn't the one of the Penguins' better performances. Nicholas Backstrom gets the gets the scoring open here uh, at eleven twenty at the eleven twenty mark of the first period. And for a long time, I felt like this was probably going to be a one nothing or a two nothing game for the Capitals. There was no scoring in the second period whatsoever. Uh, at the 3:18 mark of the third period, TJ Oshie gets his fifth goal of the season to make it two nothing Washington. And at that point, Frank, I, I was entering the mindset that this game was almost certainly lost for the Penguins. However, Brandon Tanev would register a shorthanded goal at 4:22 his fifth goal of the season, and just about three minutes later, Jake Gensel would register his seventh goal of the season to give the Penguins uh, another tie game. Uh, however, it was Tom Wilson who uh, was certainly the star of this game for uh, a lot of the wrong reasons. If you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, he would give the Capitals uh, a lead, scoring a power play goal at 12.30 of the third period, and the Capitals really wouldn't look back from there. The Capitals would score two more goals. I believe the uh, the two goals were empty netters, one by Carl Haglin and one by Lars Eller to round out this game and give Washington a 5-2 victory over the Penguins. Uh, Tom Wilson, as I previously alluded to, kind of uh, in the limelight in this game because of a a, a massive a massive hit to uh, Penguins forward Mark Jankowski that left him injured. Jankowski would return in the game, but uh, Tom Wilson's uh, Tom Wilson's antics were felt on this night, and I don't want to say it's part of the reason why the Penguins lost, but uh, it seems like when Tom Wilson makes his presence felt, the Capitals are going to win more often than not. Wilson registering a goal on the power play was certainly uh, certainly the final nail in that co- coffin or twisting the dagger just a little bit deeper for the Penguins. Certainly not their best night. Uh, a lot of issues, like I had mentioned, to begin uh, to begin this uh, part of the recap segment. But Frank, any thoughts on the Penguins' 5-2 to two loss to the Washington Capitals? Uh, it was kind of a tale of two teams. Penguins dominated the Caps on Tuesday in terms of possession, shots, chances, and then the Caps kind of returned the favor uh, in this last game. Um, there was really nothing positive to really take from this game. They kind of out got, they kind of got outplayed in all aspects of the game. Um, Tanev kind of got us back in that game with that shorthanded goal, and then you saw Gensel tied up, but. But as you mentioned, they got three quick goals after that. Uh, Latang got kind of kind of got left out to dry there by his teammates. You know, bad luck with the stick. You kind of go in two on one against two caps, no stick. It's not really going to work out for you. So, again, just not not well executed by the Penguins uh, tonight. So they kind of just move on and uh, and move on to the next game. And uh, the, the Penguins will be moving on, and they will be moving on without a key cog in that top six, that being left-winger Jason Zucker, who unfortunately suffered a, a lower body injury in the first game against the Capitals on Tuesday night. Uh, again, Jason Zucker, he fell into the boards rather awkwardly and uh, had, his, um, had his leg kind of smushed up uh, in a very awkward position against the boards right alongside the Penguins bench area. There hasn't been a direct diagnosis of what Jason Zucker's injury is, but we do know now Mike Sullivan has provided an update for Jason Zucker. He says that Zucker will be out longer term 
with a lower body injury. And he also said after the 5-2 to two loss against the Capitals, uh, Sullivan did say he had hoped that uh, the Penguins would get Jason Zucker back at some point by the end of the regular season. So there's a little bit of an encouraging spark there regarding Jason Zucker's injury status. But given how the injury unfolded, given how he had to leave the ice, basically putting no weight on his injured leg there, he flew back to Pittsburgh for more tests and and, and trying to figure out what was the status of his injury. It doesn't look like this is a very good sign for Jason Zucker, for the Penguins' forward depth in that top six. So, Frank, we're we're left here to try and figure out who's going to replace Jason Zucker alongside of Genny Malkin and Brian Rust on that top line. The the, the first uh, first player that comes to mind, Frank, is Zach Aston Reese, who was put in that position after Jason Zucker left the game on Tuesday night against the Capitals. And another player that I want to throw out to you, besides Zach Aston Reese, could be uh, a returning Jared McCann, who is uh, skating with the team. I believe he is uh, skating with uh, the the uh, full contact jersey on, so he is very, very close to returning to the lineup. I know we had a question last week in the mailbag asking if, if McCann could anchor a fourth line. It, it, it could come down to McCann acting as the, uh, the, the new left wing of Evgeny Malkin, Frank. So... Uh, given what we know about Jason Zucker at this point being out longer term, and given the options that the Penguins have at their disposal right now, what seems more likely to you? Zach Aston Reese slotting up and playing alongside Malkin, or Aston Reese returning to the, the buzzsaw line with Bluger and Tanev, and uh, a reemerging Jared McCann playing alongside of Genny Malkin? Well, I really like that third, that buzz line, that buzzsaw line. I'm going to steal your quote. I really like that line. Uh, they play, played very well all year. Again, I'm going to say that might be the best line the Penguins have going for them right now. Um, so I, if I'm Sullivan, I kind of keep that line together. I don't I want to mess with it too much. I, I would put Jared McCann up there on the second line with uh, Evgeny Malkin. I think Jared McCann has proved himself enough to, to the point where he, he can uh, hang with a guy like Evgeny Malkin and maybe give, you know, Malkin some, get, help him get his confidence back a little bit. He's been playing better as of late, but the goals aren't there for him. So maybe McCann can help get some, get Malkin the puck, help him get some scoring opportunities. And, and hopefully this will be a shorter term solution for the Penguins. We have to imagine Hextall's on the phones, working the phones, trying to get maybe a, a longer term solution um, for to replace J- J- Jason Zucker, so for for the short term, I would I wouldn't mind seeing Jared McCann up there. I want to I want to keep Zach Aston Reese on that third line with Tanev and Bluger because they have played well all year. And uh, one other little piece uh, of news to pass along to you regarding roster transactions. Uh, the Penguins made a move on the waiver wire on February 24th, uh, claiming defenseman Mark Friedman off of waivers from the Philadelphia Flyers. And this defenseman, Mark Friedman, was a, a former draftee of current Penguins general manager Ron Hextall. Uh, long story short, I believe this uh, defensive pickup and Friedman will be nothing more than defensive depth. Uh, that's why I didn't really spend any time addressing it to this point in the episode of the, this episode of the podcast. Uh, uh, Friedman is a 25-year-old right-handed shot defenseman. The Penguins have a plethora of right-handed shots 
when looking at uh, Yannick Weber, Chad Ruedel, now Friedman, uh, John Marino, of course, Chris Letang, Cody Cece, I believe, is right-handed as well. So uh, the, the Penguins have no shortage of right-handed D-men to take their pick with. Uh, but looking at this acquisition of uh, Mark Friedman, I, I expect this to be organizational depth, maybe a 7-8-9 type of defenseman who needs to slot in when injury occurs. I just wanted to bring that up to the listeners that the, the, there was a little bit of a transaction made here with defenseman Mark Friedman, but I don't think he will move the needle all that much when it comes to trying to leave a mark on the current Penguins depth chart. But Frank, moving on, I want to talk about something else here, something that has uh, already been discussed by the time we had started recording this episode of the podcast and something that we had talked about in this episode already, that being uh, Sidney Crosby playing in his 1,000th career NHL game. And uh, uh, allow me to go on a little bit of a tangent here, and maybe not a tangent, but I, I just want to say as a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, what uh, what an incredible treat it's been to watch Sidney Crosby uh, mature as an 18-year-old to what he has become now after 1,000 NHL games and all of the ups and downs in his illustrious Hall of Fame career. Uh, I just want to pick out a couple of uh, moments, Frank, that come to mind uh, when looking back on the crazy 1,000 games played of Sidney Crosby. And we could make an entire podcast episode of these moments in and of themselves, but these were the first two that came off the top of my head for whatever reason. And then I'll let you share a couple of moments, a couple of your favorite Sidney Crosby moments. The first Sidney Crosby moment being the overtime goal uh, Crosby scored against the Flyers in his rookie year in November of 2005. Uh, Crosby helped the Penguins to a 3-2 victory in Philadelphia after uh, he, he was really mal- maliciously attacked by Flyers defenseman Darian Hatcher at the time. As a result of Darian Hatcher's play, basically took his stick and just whammed, bammed Sidney Crosby right in his face. And I believe he chipped one of Sidney Crosby's teeth, if not a couple of his teeth. But Sidney Crosby, the 18-year-old rookie at the time, proved that he would get the last laugh in Philadelphia, marking his arrival to the league and to the Philadelphia faithful that this was a player that you're going to have to deal with for years to come, getting the last laugh on Hatcher and the Flyers in that 3-2 overtime victory. The second moment that sprung to mind was the the one-handed goal that Sidney Crosby scored on, I believe it was uh, March 21st, 2017. It was a one-handed backhand goal. Crosby scored against the Sabres uh, towards the end of that regular season in March 2017. I'm not a betting man, but uh, that might be the statue goal, if you will, that uh, when when Sidney Crosby's statue gets erected outside of PPG Paints Arena, that very well could be the goal that you see uh, standing alongside Mario Lemieux's famous goal scored. Frank, uh, those were two of my uh, most memorable Sidney Crosby moments. I want to hand it over to you and and uh, let you pick some of your favorite Sidney Crosby moments throughout his 1,000 NHL games played. Uh, well, the first one that comes to mind for me was, I believe it was 2007. It was a shootout goal against the Montreal Canadiens. Um, just... I believe I believe Halak was the goaltender at the time, and he just there was no chance for Halak to even even remotely make a save on that shootout goal. Just 
Sidney Crosby for years we've talked about the hands, his sick hands, and and how he can he can deke with the best of them, and he just had Halak out to dry in that on that goal, and there was just no chance for him. And I literally just pulled up the goal just again to watch it as you were talking, um, and it was just something to witness. Um, and we've talked about it for years, Sidney Crosby, and he still to this day has some of the best hands in the league. Um, another one that comes to mind, and it's not really, I guess, Penguins related, but you can't talk about Sidney Crosby without talking about the Golden Olympic goal in 2010, um, just helping Team Canada to victory in Vancouver, just that the crowd going nuts. Um, I mean, that was Sidney Crosby, and he was the best player in the league, and still to this day, he's still the best player in the league. And, um, you mentioned he's going to have a uh, he's going to have a statue outside of PPG Paints Arena one day. I don't think that would be the statue because it had nothing to do with Penguins, but that would be a uh, that would be something cool to see. And I have one more, and it's not really I wouldn't say it's too big, but I mean that overtime winner in 2016 against Tampa Bay. Um, I believe it tied the series at, at a game apiece. I can't remember what game it was, but. Um, it was just a big goal for us, helping us to get that victory. And ultimately, we went on to win the Stanley Cup. So, I mean, there's so many, you mentioned it, that we can have an hour, just a podcast alone, talking about Sidney Crosby and his accomplishments. But those were just a few of my takeaways and a few of my memories of Sidney Crosby. Yeah, I've often used this this podcast as a platform to wax poetic about Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And I've often I've often told the listeners of this podcast to uh, not take the greatness of, of of Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby for granted. They often say you never know what you really have until it's gone. I, I'm not go I'm not here to say that the Penguins will enter some dark times in a post Sidney Crosby Evgeny Malkin era, but. Uh, I don't know until they get that next generational superstar. Obviously the city has been blessed uh, with several generational superstars uh, over the years, but un until they, they come across that next generational type player, if they ever do uh, you know, you're, you're going to have all of these fantastic memories of Crosby and Malkin to look back on and, and, and think about all of the, all of the, the crazy fun times you had watching their illustrious careers. But let's hope that Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby both play for another 1,000 NHL games and we get to continue to watch their greatness night in and night out. But Frank, let's switch on over because we have a jam-packed mailbag segment for this episode of the podcast. We have a whopping eight questions this week in our mailbag segment. And before we begin, I'd just like to inform everyone out there, if you would like to become a contributor to this mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pensburg podcast Twitter account at Pensburg Pod. Every week, we will send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this mailbag segment. Uh, we love getting all sorts of crazy, wacky, fun, hockey, and non-hockey-related questions. And this time, the listeners out there, uh, they were not shy about sharing their questions. As Like I said, we have eight questions to get through. So, Frank, let's start uh, ringing them off here. The Battle on the Boards podcast asks a question for us. We have uh, an abundance of NHL caliber D now. What is one reasonable player? What is one reasonable player for player trade you would like to see Hextall pull off? Or 
Would you rather keep the defensive depth as it stands? I would rather keep the depth as it stands, but we still need to make a trade. Um, injuries are going to happen. We've seen that we can't. We seem to not be able to get out of its way. Um, when one guy comes back, another one goes down. Having said that, uh, to to get something, you got to give up something. So it's easier said than done to keep the guys and still make trades. Um, we're in a tight spot salary cap wise as well. So we are going to have to give up a player. Could that be Dumlin when he comes back? Because he's got a high uh, high cap hit. Um, that's yet to be seen. Pedersen could be on the move. Um, Matheson might be a guy. So I would like to keep the depth as it is, but we do need we do need to make moves, and it starts with that defense. Yeah, there were there's a couple other questions here that uh, have a, have a similar uh, kind of question that's being asked in regards to future trades that are made. Uh, with the with the with the Ron Hextall era just getting underway, and uh, so we'll uh, when we come across those questions, we'll address that. But as it relates to this particular question, uh, I've always uh, held the mindset of keeping the as much depth as you can, uh, especially on the blue line. Uh, like you alluded to, Frank, the, the Penguins and the injury bug are uh, are are a relationship that unfortunately cannot be separated at the moment, and having as much you know, quality defensive depth as you can get is going to be a bonus because it seems like, uh, like you said, uh, the Penguins are always facing some sort of injury. And uh, there's an, another question that we'll get to in a couple of moments regarding forward depth and bottom six forward depth. And uh, so that would be another area that I would definitely, definitely look to improve if I'm Ron Hextall and or Brian Burke, if they both have a hand in personnel decisions. But uh, for the time being, I would like to keep as much forward depth as possible, and maybe that's where the new uh, the new acquisition of Mark Friedman comes into play. You know, maybe he becomes some uh, some much needed defensive depth somewhere down the line. It remains to be seen. But uh, question number two from Penshen, uh, I like this question: How do players respond to being benched? Uh, doesn't that constitute negative reinforcement? kind of uh, sort of like being the, the last person selected for a team feelings of rejection. Just curious. Uh, Frank, I'll take this one to start off with, and then you, you'll, you can give your thoughts on it too. Uh, I think Penn's hen is referring to the benching of particularly or specifically Casperi Kapanen in uh, the, the recent game that we had mentioned earlier on in the show. And uh, I will be upfront and honest with everyone that I have not played uh, I, I've not played a, a professional or semi-professional or collegiate or recreational game of organized hockey, but what I can tell you from uh, regarding a player being benched is that it, it certainly seems like more often than not uh, a player is going to receive that message uh, when they are benched and they do see all of their teammates out on the ice. You know, there might be a, a period of obvious frustration either internally or externally with a player. And there might've been some internal frustration with, with a guy like Casperi Kapanen. But uh, as you saw Kapanen in the following game, registered an assist in the game winning goal. And uh, I think he did uh, muck it up in the corners a little bit there to Mike Sullivan's liking. So I believe he heeded Mike Sullivan's message 
And again, I don't think benchings are often, I don't think there's a personal message being sent behind a coach to a player. I think it's more professional and uh, that, that player coach relationship being uh, a bit more professional than it is personal. And, you know, obviously Mike Sullivan wants to get the best out of his players. He felt like Kapanen didn't have it on that particular night, which is why he really didn't see the ice for the majority of that third period. He responds very favor favorably to the benching and uh, Mike Sullivan and Kapanen are both rewarded for uh, how that particular situation unfolded. Yeah, I'm of the mindset that if you're a young player in this league, uh, an unestablished player in this league, or in any league for that matter, any professional league, um, you're kind of on a short leash. And that's what it seemed like Kapanen was on, is on. Um, he went from Crosby's line uh, to being benched in the third period of that previous game we mentioned so if you're not doing if you're not out there doing your job to the coach's liking um you will be benched and like you mentioned i don't think it's anything personal it's just to get the point across that you know you weren't getting the job done and you may need to sit out the rest of this game and i think the biggest thing was that there was communication between the head coach and the player um Kappen had said they had talked they were on the same page about it um, so that's always key as well. You don't want to bench a player and not tell them why, or, you know, just not communicate with them. So I think the communication aspect of that was, was huge. And, and we saw Kapanen really play his heart out in the next game. So I think, again, it, it's nothing to feel rejected about. Yeah. There's probably going to be a feeling of, of, you know, sad, not sadness, but unhappiness, but he's an adult. He got over it and he played well. All right. Question number three comes from Brendan. Uh, another question regarding the defense. What is the long-term game on left defense? As P.O. Joseph has shown, he deserves to be here in the NHL now. Uh, do we look to move Brian Dumoulin, Marcus Pedersen, or Mike Matheson? If so, who do we move and when do we move? Um, Frank, would you like to take the, the, the um, beginning of this question or do you want me to take it? I'll take it. I, I have a I have a pretty good answer, I think. Um, so, P.O. Joseph, he has he has shown he deserves to be there, yes. Um, again, I don't really know the reason he got benched uh, in this last game. Um, I'm assuming, again, he didn't play to Sullivan's liking. Um, I'm sure they talked about it. I'm sure they're on the same page with it as well. We kind of just talked about that. Uh, but Joseph, for the most part this year, has played well. I and mean, then we kind of touched on it in the first question about uh, if, you know, Dumoulin, Pedersen, Matheson, if one of those guys could be uh, used as trade bait uh, with the trade deadline looming. I'm of the mindset that we need to upgrade our defense. We need to add. Um, and one of those guys could be on the move for the sake of, of money. Um, like I said earlier, we are on a tight, uh, tight restraints as far as the salary cap. Uh, Dumoulin has one of the highest uh, cap uh, hits on the defensive side uh, with Latang, of course, who's probably not going anywhere. Um, I see Pedersen as the most likeliest candidate to get moved. I'm not, I don't really have a good reason why. I just I feel like he's he's the one that's been talked about the most as 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 the guy who's going to be on the move. But I mean, we'll see what happens. I think, you know, Hextall's out there looking for up upgrades, looking for improvements, um, any way to improve this team, not just defensively, but 
uh, forward-wise as well. So uh, we'll see what the uh, new regime has in store for the Penguins. I can give you a good reason uh, as to why Pedersen might be traded. Uh, looking at all the defensemen, the, the defensemen that were specifically mentioned in this question, Brian Dumoulin, Marcus Pedersen, and uh, Mike Matheson, Pedersen is only 24 years of age, and he, but he un, he does carry a cap hit of uh, 4.025 million, uh, so uh, almost um, yeah, a little over four million dollars is the yearly cap hit for Marcus Pedersen at 24 years of age with uh, a relatively manageable cap hit. I think a lot of general managers around the league would look at that and, and want to take on a player like Pedersen. Uh, Matheson is two years older and has a, a larger cap hit at 4.875 million. And, uh, Brian Dumoulin, where's Brian Dumoulin? Dumoulin's cap hit is 4.1 million. He is 29 years of age. So obviously the older, the oldest of the three defensemen mentioned here, uh, if one of these players is to be traded, I would think think it would be Marcus Pedersen just because of the the age. Uh, a lot of general managers are going to look at a 24-year-old player with a, a, man, a, a ra rather manageable uh, salary cap hit of a little over $4 million and find that rather enticing. So if there is a, a defenseman that's going to be traded, it it could very well be, be Pedersen in regards to these three particular players. All right. Uh, question number four comes from Brett, if Jason Zucker is out for an extended period of time, should the Penguins try to go after another winger to play alongside Malkin, such as a player like Mikel Granlund from the Nashville Predators? Well, Brett, uh, you brought up a, a player that, uh, thankfully and fortunately, uh, our good buddy Hooks Orpik over at Pensburg.com did a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a scouting article for uh, the Nashville Predators about 10 days ago after the Predators got off to uh, a 6-9-0 and nine, six, nine and oh start after 15 games. And that led to some believing that maybe the Predators would turn into sellers. Uh, you brought up uh, Mikel Granlin specifically, and uh, Granlin would be quite the prize to get for the Penguins. He has a cap hit of $3.75 million dollars for uh, this season, he has nine points, four goals, nine points in 16 games so far in uh, the 2020-2021 campaign. So uh, decent numbers for for Granlin for sure. Um, he he between uh, looking at a player like Granlin, obviously uh, the NHL the official the NHL's official website lists him as a center. He uh, does have a left-handed shot, so I do uh, do believe he has played. Uh, a little bit on the left wing as well. Mikel Granlin is 29 years of age. So uh, looking at Granlin specifically, uh, that could be, um, you know, that, that could be something that, that Ron Hextall looks at. Uh, of course, if Hextall is working the phones, I'm sure he's talking to several other teams for several other assets. Uh, but with, with Pittsburgh's uh, salary cap issues, and Granlin's almost $4 million cap hit, there's going to have to be some finagling or finessing from either Nashville or Pittsburgh side. If if a player like Granlin does come back, you'd have to look at probably sending sending one of those defensemen that we previously mentioned uh, who make over $4 million on the blue line or uh, a player like 
uh, Colton Sebior, who is making $1.2 million this year. So those are a couple of options to explore when looking at the player like uh, Mikkel Granlin from Nashville. But Frank, do you have, uh, if, if Zucker is going to be out for an extended period of time, as it, that appears to be the case, uh, do you have anybody in particular that comes to mind and, and when you think, oh, this this player might be a good fit alongside Evgeny Malkin? You mentioned Mikhail Granlin. I think that would be a great fit for the Penguins. Um, yeah, As you mentioned, it would take some finessing, finagling uh, with the, the cap hits. Um, but another guy that uh, is mentioned in this article that I'm reading and that you mentioned is uh, Eric Halla. And he was a guy that, before the start of the year, if memory serves me correct, was on the Penguins' radar, was on Jim Rutherford's radar. And obviously things didn't work out for the Penguins, but he's had a pretty nice year. He's uh, The main uh, thing with him is injuries and He's had uh, a couple of recent injuries, um, and obviously we're, we're a team right now that uh, can't get out of the injury bug's way. So um, he's played in 14 of 15 games this year. He's got four assists. He's excellent in the face-off circle, so he's more of a center than he is a winger like Mikhail Granlin is. He would be another guy I, would like see, I wouldn't mind seeing coming in. Um, Obviously, this is just the National Predators we're talking about. There's a, there's plenty of other teams out there that I'm sure Hextall is talking with, you know, seeing what the prices are for some of these players, some of these third-line, fourth-line players, um, and even top six if, if we're looking in that direction. Um, so Hextall is definitely working the phones, not only for defensemen, but for forward depth, and We'll see what plays out. You know, again, the salary uh, the salary cap is is our uh, worst enemy right now, and, and just trying to fit players in will be a a tough battle for Hextall. All right. Question number five comes from uh, James James Bendishaw, and he wants to know: uh, Will we trade a defenseman when Dumoulin gets healthy? And what bottom six center are we getting to replace Mark Jankowski? Uh, well, James, uh, we. We've kind of unfortunately already answered part one of your question regarding uh, Dumoulin's impending return to the lineup uh, uh, and, and, and talking about what player, what defenseman might get traded um, when, when everyone is healthy on that blue line. But uh, re regarding Mark Jankowski's tenure as a Pittsburgh Penguin so far, uh, it, it really hasn't been uh, all of that, all that great of a season for Jankowski in 17 games played, he's only registered three points and is a minus four. Uh, he had a really, really nice start to the season. His only goal came in uh, one of the first two games played against the Philadelphia Flyers at the very, very, very start of the this season. So he has obviously cooled, cooled off quite considerably offensively. Uh, he's really nothing more than a penalty killer at this point. Uh, if you want to look deeper into his possession metrics, this season Jankowski carries a 42.9 Corsi 4 percentage and a 43.3 uh, Fenwick 4 percentage. And if you're if you you know how to read advanced metrics, anything below the 50 percent mark, uh, five zero 50 percent, anything below that threshold indicates that player is a negative. Uh, has a negative effect on puck possession for your team. So with Jankowski coming in at 42.9 for his Corsi 4 and 43.3 for Fenwick 
for percentage at even strength. Uh, definitely not the greatest possession player either. So uh, Jankowski certainly does have quite a few detractors. Uh, I've seen quite a bit of discussion on social media night in and night out regarding his rather poor play. And if you're just if your main trait you're bringing to the dance is penalty killing, and that's really all you can do. I'd rather, you, you, you know, I'd rather have somebody else in there who might be able to, uh, a contribute with better puck position numbers and, uh, B have some bit of a flair for offense. Neither of those two things are going Jankowski's way this season. Uh, who will replace Jankowski? Uh, I don't know. I can't give you an answer for that. Only Ron Hextall, probably knows maybe knows that the answer to that question right now but uh, i have to think i don't know if his days in the black and gold are numbered but uh, if he keeps playing the way he's playing i mean he hasn't registered a single point in the last five games he's basically just a body out there in that bottom six frank yeah to uh, answer james's first question i do think uh defenseman will get traded just for the pure aspect of salary cap again just trying to free up money to acquire another player um we mentioned Pedersen as the most likely option we both agreed on that we both think he would be the most he would be the one on the move so um as far as what bottom six forward or what bottom six center we're gonna get again you you kind of said it as well <clears throat> can't read Hextall's mind uh, I'm not sure what he's thinking I'm not sure where he's headed you know I'm sure he's talking to teams. I'm sure, you know, he knows he needs to upgrade the bottom six. And, you know, Jankowski is a player that, you know, can he find somebody that's better than him? I'm sure. You just mentioned, kind of gave out the stats. He's he's just a body out there at this point. He's just some that, someone that's, you know, not to be disrespectful, but he's just taking up ice at this point. Um, so if we can get somebody, you know, that can, that can be more than, as you mentioned, more than a penalty killer, Almost like a Matt Cullen type of player. Matt Cullen brought leadership. He didn't always score a goal, but he brought leadership to the team. And, you know, he brought – he every time he was out there, he he made it known that he was out there. So I'm not saying, you know, we're going to get another Matt Cullen type player. But, you know, Jankowski is definitely a hindrance to this team right now. And, again, you just mentioned all the stats as to as to why he – he needs to be upgraded and it's not, he was not a Hextall player. He was a, he was a Jim Rutherford player. And, you know, when we signed him uh, in the off season, we kind of knew he wasn't, he wasn't going to be all that, you know, all that we hoped for, but we didn't think it was going to be this bad. And, you know, Hextall again, we've kind of said it this whole mailbag session. He, he's definitely working the phones, looking for upgrades. Um, both, bottom six, defense, you name it. Hextall is definitely on the phones, and, and we'll see where this where this uh, takes us come trade deadline time. All right, question number six comes from uh, Brian. He goes on to say, not that it would ever happen, but one player I have always wanted on the team was Boone Jenner. So with that being said, any realistic players you could see that we could possibly add? Feel like Boone on a line with McCann and Teddy Bluger as a retooled third line would be tough to handle. Add and Jankowski with Brandon Tanev and Zach Aston Reese uh, would give that line some much needed life. Well, Brian, we've uh, 
we've already discussed at a decent length that some of these some of the players that have been added in some of these hypothetical trade negotiations uh, regarding Boone Jenner, I think Jenner's been a lifelong Columbus Blue Jacket at uh, the, the the current 27-year-old center stands at 6'2", 207, has 11 points in 21 games played so far this season and uh Boone Jenner strikes me as an interesting trade candidate. I don't know if the Jackets are open to dealing anybody, uh, especially being Boone Jenner, but certainly looking at his frame, 6'2", 207, uh, that's a pretty uh, pretty hefty body that could definitely anchor, help anchor the bottom six there. Uh, I think, obviously, I think he would be an upgrade over uh, Jankowski if he was brought on, placing Jenner all alongside uh, Jared McCann, if McCann slots into... Uh, if McCann slots into a winger role because uh, Jenner can play center and Teddy, you have Teddy Bluger on the buzzsaw line with Zach Aston, Reese and Tanev. Uh, yeah, I think, I think Boone Jenner could be, could be a difference maker. You know, I've always liked Boone Jenner watching him play, you know, against the Penguins, but watching him just play in general, I've always admired his game. He's, he's a, he's a tough grinded out kind of guy. Um, and that's kind of what the new regime of of Hextall and Burke are looking for: tough, physical guys that can, you know, make their presence known. And, and playing again, playing uh, for John Tortorella, you expect that from from his players. Um, again, I've always admired him. I I think Boone Jenner, as as uh, as Brian mentions here, he he would be a great player to fit on a line with uh, McCann and, and Teddy Bluger. Um, would it ever happen? Most likely not, just because uh, you mentioned it's the Blue Jackets, it's the Penguins, they're, they're rivals. Um, you don't see too many trades between rivals in any sport, so it would take a lot for this trade to happen, for anything like this to happen. But, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a fantasy world, Boone Jenner on the Penguins would, would make me very happy, at least. Yeah, Jenner, uh, looking at his stats right here, a former 30-goal scorer in the 2015-16 campaign, a career face-off percentage of 54%. Uh, so uh, Jenner is certainly no slouch, but will it happen? Um, you know, obviously only Hextall knows, uh, knows the answer to those kinds of questions, uh, but Jenner specifically, uh, I, I don't know if we'll ever see him in the black and gold. Uh, question number seven comes from Fry Time. With Tristan Jerry playing uh, back to form, how much work do you give him? I assume you want to balance keeping him sharp and not overworking him. Uh, Fry Time, I really like this question, and based on what I can recall of Tristan Jerry's play, I have uh, a couple of stats that I've pulled up for you regarding Tristan Jerry and how he plays over the course of a season. And, uh, Historically, Jari has been a goaltender that has played well, given his limited, very limited sample size in the NHL, but he has played well when he has taken the reins for himself. So will he be limited and will it be a more of a 50-50 split? I find that hard to believe. Here are the stats that I've pulled up regarding Tristan Jari's play in the NHL. Since 2017-18, Tristan Jari has had seven different win streaks of three three games or more, including a stretch of play in 2019-2020 season of winning 15 out of 19 of his games started between 
November 16th, 2019, and January 14th, 2020. Digesting all of these stats and, and, and looking at what I just described, uh, essentially Tristan Jari can be that that bell cow, that set it and forget it goaltender who plays well when he's getting a lot of minutes. Now, given the state of this season being only 56 games and a whole lot of uncertainty surrounding COVID protocols, does Mike Sullivan feel the need to balance out a goalie rotation more down the middle with Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith? Uh, that obviously remains to be seen because, uh, you know, there are still uh, – 30 plus games to be played throughout this season. But given Jari's uh, historical tendencies, he plays well when he is between the pipes more often than not uh, for these long stretches of play. I don't know if, I, I don't know if Mike Sullivan wants to keep rotating Jari and, De, and DeSmith uh, one after the other. Frank, what do you think about how Mike Sullivan should deploy, should deploy Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith moving forward? I think you kind of just stick with Jari. I think he's been playing very well the last number of games here. Every every game you see him, his confidence building, and and that's what I talked about. You know, when we first started our uh, podcast and when the season first started, you know, he did not look good, and he he just was is not a good goaltender. He had no confidence. He was lacking confidence. He he was just lacking everything. And as the season has gone on, you've seen his confidence starting to build back up. He's playing very well. Um, I wouldn't look at this recent game against the Capitals as anything to, you know, hang your head on. He played well. It's just the guys in front of him were outplayed. Um, so, again, I, I would stick with Tristan Jari. You know, keep building up that confidence as, you know, we get closer to playoff time. Um DeSmith has played well, you know, in the uh, backup role for Jari when Jari has needed spells. So I would just roll with Jari as as the season goes. And then, you know, Sullivan knows if, if Jari needs a rest, if Jari comes to him and say, hey, I'm not you know, feeling well with this game, you know, kind of tired, DeSmith will be there and he'll get the start. So I'm I'm going to roll with Jari. All right, question number eight. Our final question of the mailbag comes from Commander Kern. He's back, and he asks, the Penguins are looking better. Do you think the overtime wins are, are okay, or is giving away that point going to bite us in the end? Uh, well, Commander, uh, you know, these divisional games obviously carry with them uh, much, more, uh, much more importance. They're essentially four-point games, uh, even though you're only getting two points in the in the actual standings, um, I think I, I went on a bit of a tangent a couple of episodes ago, saying that I, I wanted to see more consistency from the Penguins in regulation and just taking the two points for themselves instead of getting all of these wins in the shootout and uh, the overtime period. But I, I think the Penguins as a team are going to take points any way they can get them. And if that means giving up an additional point to all of the, the teams in your division, I think they'll take that so long as they get the the additional point, giving them two points in the end and a win on the score sheet. So while I would personally like to see them obviously racking off a, a, a lot of their wins 
if not all of their wins in regulation, taking two points for themselves as this East division is getting incredibly tight uh, between the likes of the, the, the Penguins, the, the Penguins, the Flyers, the Capitals, and the Bruins. Um, you know, they're, they're going to give away, they're definitely going to give away points every now and again, especially with how they've played this season. But uh, long story short, to put a bow on this and to hand it over to Frank, uh, I would definitely like to see more consistency with the Penguins in regulation to take the two points. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, consistency in the in the uh, in regulation, um, we want to get that those two points without having to give up that you know the one point to our opposing teams. As you mentioned, we're in a tight race right now in the East, and that kind of expect that going all the way to the end. Um, <clears throat> but this is a team that plays from behind seemingly every game so if you're going to be a team that plays from behind and and you know is going to make those late comebacks you know tie it up get it to overtime get it to a shootout and ultimately hopefully win um as you mentioned you want to be that team that gets that extra point and leaves the other team with the one point so again if this is and as and this has been a team that has played from behind all year you kind of want to get that extra point that win any way you can so if it means getting it in the shootout or getting it in overtime then then that's how it has to be but as you mentioned and you know I've mentioned it too all year long we need more consistency consistency in regulation and right now it hasn't happened but again however you get that extra point the penguins will definitely take it all right, Frank. Well, it has been an incredibly jam-packed mailbag, and it has been an incredibly jam-packed edition of this Pensburg podcast as we just get to set to cross over the one-hour mark of this episode of the podcast. Do you have anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up this edition of the Pensburg podcast? Uh, just no more snow. Yes. Uh, for, for those living, uh, fr- Frank and I both live uh in uh, in the uh, the suburbs of Pittsburgh, so we are very much sick and tired of this cold weather and all of the snow. Bring on spring, bring on the 55, 60 degree days, and uh, with that, hopefully, comes a very long run uh, at the end of the regular season and into the postseason for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, but for Frank Miola, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pensburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.